My name is Caleb Brazier. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is so, so exciting for you guys to be here. It's exciting for me to be here. Uh, I wasn't entirely sure if I'd wake up to my alarm this morning, but gratefully, I have a newborn who has become my alarm and that will not let you snooze. So, uh, so we are here uh, and so excited to be here uh, with you. There are a number of things going on today, and we're so excited to welcome you to the very first Sunday at The Grove. We exist to make disciples who know, treasure, and obey Christ. We want to be disciples who have our entire lives transformed and touched by Jesus, to be and to make followers of Jesus with informed minds, inspired hearts, and engaged hands. So we've got a number of things going on today. I want to just kind of touch base, go through a few announcements, housekeeping stuff before uh, diving in. We're so excited that you're here. Whether you're here for the hundredth time, here for the first time, uh, every Sunday really is someone's first Sunday at the Grove, as we've seen, especially these last uh, few months. And so we're so excited that you are here. One of the ways that we want to just celebrate today is we want to just uh, make sure there are a number of things that we have that just help mark the day. So we're giving away a number of things today, just as gifts and ways to celebrate and say thank you for being a part of this uh, momentous occasion here this morning. One of those uh, is we are giving to all of our members and all the people who have been coming regularly here uh, to church uh, access to Right Now Media. And so you may go, Right Now Media, I've never heard of that. Uh, that doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, well, Right Now Media, what it is, it's pretty much the Netflix of Christianity. Uh, and so you get on there, there's a huge database of Bible studies and conference messages uh, and devotionals and kids programming and TV shows and all the veggie tales that you can imagine. Um, and it's all accessible on uh, Apple TV, on Android. Uh, and so just for being a part of this church, uh, we want to give you guys access to that. So we've partnered with Right Now Media uh, and paid for subscriptions so that you guys don't have to pay anything, uh, just as a gift to you and a way of saying thank you. If you're here and you go, man, I would love to be able to have access to that, but I don't know uh, if I'm a part of this church. I don't know if they have my email. Listen, all you got to do is just fill out that connect card that Andrew talked about earlier. You can find your uh, magnifying glass somewhere uh, underneath your chair, and then you can see where to fill it out. But if you just fill out your email on there, then we'll as well send you this week uh, the access uh, to be able to uh, have a subscription service. So if you're a member of this church, if we have your email already, you'll be getting an email actually uh, 33 minutes ago, I think the email went out. So you should have instructions on how to be able to set that up and have access to it. It's an incredible resource because, again, the reason why we exist, our mission here is to make disciples because that's the, that's the mission that Jesus has given every single one of his churches. So what we want to do as a church, both here on Sundays with our children's ministry, everything we do, we want to, as we see Paul write in Ephesians 4, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We want to partner with you. We want to help give you the tools that you need to live uh, this life following Jesus. And so this is one way that we want to do that. There are, again, incredible messages. It's a great, uh, great way to just sit down with your spouse at night. There's awesome stuff on marriage. There's studies and conferences on marriage. There's great stuff on parenting. Again, like I said, the, the kids program itself, just the TV shows that are there, are so much better than SpongeBob SquarePants. So much better for everybody involved. Uh, and so the, there's a number of things to be able to put on iPads, on TVs. So anyway, so right now, media, it's our gift to you. If you'd like access to it and you're not a regular attender of this church, just again, fill out your email on the Connect card, and we'll be sure to send you an email uh, this week. Also, you may notice we've got new Bibles in the chairs. They are 
nice, like fancy hardcover Bibles. Those were donated to us by Lifeway, uh, a huge gift uh, from them as we get ready to start uh, this new church here. Uh, and so you'll notice one of the things as well that's different is it's a different translation of the Bible. We've had the ESV. This is the CSB. Uh, if that doesn't mean anything to you, that's fine. Just know that it's, uh, it's a great translation. There's a number of really good translations out there. So I'm not the guy that's like, oh, it's KJV only, ESV only. If none of those letters mean anything to you, that's totally great as well. Uh, this is the a Bible. One of the reasons why I like this translation, though, in particular, is we read so much of the Bible out loud. This translation is a lot more readable than some of the others. They really focus on making sure it uh, has an easier readability. So it's there next to, uh, next to you in the chairs. If you don't have a Bible, that is our gift to you. We want you to take that home with you. And now we can actually like mean it as like a nice gift and not like a little paper one that isn't really nice, but we feel like we have to say it's nice because it's uh, all that we have. But now we have actual nice Bibles to give you. Um, and so again, if you don't have one, please, please take that with you. We love, love the Bible here. Uh, and again, it's a great way to just open it up and begin to see who is God and what has he said about himself. So those are the new Bibles. And then <clears throat> thirdly, we've got a <clears throat> number of things happening after the service. So we've got a photo that we'll be taking here. I'll have, at the end of the service, Olivia will be coming up and kind of giving more details about the photo because I'm not a logistics guy and I would just make a mess if I was in charge of that. But there is also a photo booth out in the lobby for some of you may have seen it on the way in. Uh, feel free to go over there if you didn't have time before the service. Grab your best selfie arm. If you don't know how to take a selfie, Abel, will you raise your hand? Abel is the selfie master right here. Isn't that right, Abel? He is the man. I have seen him just all sorts of angles. He can get the perfect one, the great arm extension. He's the one to talk to. So you can take selfies. We'll also have people there to be able to hold your camera and take pictures as well. Feel free to post that today. Um, uh, it's a, an exciting day. And again, we want to be able to capture uh, the, and remember this day as we all come together. We'll also have a gift out there for you guys, cups and stuff in there. Um, we've got car decals out there. So if you'd like someone to be able to put a car decal on your car. We've got a team that's going to be doing that. If you want to swap out the stickers from Grace to the Grove stickers, again, we've got a team that can be doing that today. So that's all happening outside. We've also got Mexican popsicles. You may say, what's Mexican popsicles? How's that any better? Just trust me, it is. It is so, so much better. We had them last year, um, right about this time. But one of the things last year that made them particularly good is we did not have any air conditioning on that Sunday that we had popsicles. And so I think that maybe made them taste a little bit better, but regardless, we've still got them today and we have air conditioning, so that's great. So there's a number of things happening today. We just want to be able to celebrate, uh, to come together uh, as a family. People sometimes may say, oh, you shouldn't do things like that at church. And I go, man, that's garbage because a church is a family. That's the number one illustration and image that's used in the New Testament of what a church is. And families celebrate together. We have parties, uh, we get together, we give gifts, and so we want to come together as a family and celebrate what it is God is doing here. So with all of that said, we're going to be jumping into 1 Samuel. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab them now. If you've got one of the Bibles next to you, it's going to be on page 247. 247. We'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. One of the things that marks us here at the Grove is we are expository preachers. So what that means is the majority of time, we're just walking verse by verse, chapter by chapter through books of the Bible. 
Again, we love the Bible, and we think that this is God's revelation of himself. So each Sunday, we just really want to hold up a microphone to him and let him speak to us. And so we've been walking through 1 Samuel. We'll continue that all the way up until Christmas as we see now this shift that happens in the book. We kind of move into Act 3 of 1 Samuel here in this chapter. So if you look at it as a play or as a musical, we're now entering Act 3. The very first act followed this lead character named Samuel. He was this prophet that was raised up that God was using to prepare the throne for Israel. Act 2 then brought a new lead character after uh, chapters 1 through 7. Now in Act 2, chapters 8 through 15, we saw this new character named Saul. And Saul was instituted and crowned as the very first king of Israel. We followed his story from chapters 8 through 15. But now we enter into this new character. And we'll follow him primarily through the rest of the book. Although Saul and uh, Samuel will still both be involved, they now move to the background as we see introduced this new man named David. And it's here in this section that we see the start of something new in Israel, as God brings a new king to his people and a new direction. And here in this chapter, we see David chosen and anointed as the king. So as we look now, let's read 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, because I've selected a king from his sons. Samuel asked, how can I go? Saul will hear about it, and he'll kill me. The Lord answered, take a young cow with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will let you know what you are to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate to you. Samuel did what the Lord directed and went to Bethlehem. When the elders of the town met him, they trembled and asked, Do you come in peace? In peace, he replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, Certainly, the Lord's anointed one is here before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel. The Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. Then Jesse presented Shema, but Samuel said, The Lord hasn't chosen this one either. After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, The Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Samuel asked him, Are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but right now he's tending the sheep. Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. He had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. Then the Lord said, anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. And Samuel set out and went to Ramah. So as we see here, this is the selection and the anointing of David. And there's a number of things we see here in this passage. I want us to look at three different ones in particular. First, we'll see the mission in verses 1 through 3. Then we'll see the mistake in verses 4 through 7. And finally, we'll see the man in verses 8 through 13. So the mission, the mistake, the man. Three points, I'll start with them. It's going to be a good Sunday. We are off to the races. So the mission first in verses 1 through 3. So you'll remember right in the previous chapter, Saul had just 
been rejected as king of Israel. So Saul was the king. He disobeyed God. God then came and said, he is no longer my king. Rejected him and was now on the search for someone else. Now this was hard particularly for Samuel because Samuel was the prophet. And he was old at this point. He had given his life for the welfare of Israel. And really his whole life was building up to this point to be able to hand off the mantle to someone else. And although it didn't go exactly as he would have planned, Samuel was putting forward and laying down his life. And Saul Saul is kind of the culmination of his life. Here's the man that I can step back to and hand Israel to. And we see in chapter 15, God rejects him as king. And Samuel's life work begins to fall apart. You can imagine Samuel looking going, all that I've done is just now gone. What has my life had any purpose? And he begins to mourn, both for what he's done and for Saul himself. And that's where chapter 16 begins. And the Lord tells him in verse 1, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? Because I've rejected him as king over Israel. And so the chapter begins with grief. The chapter begins with dreams deferred and dreams displaced, hopes that are dashed. And Samuel's looking out and going, what does my life have anything left to do? Now, I don't know about anyone else in this room, but has anyone else apart from me ever been in that spot where you've looked at your life and gone, man, this just isn't quite turning out how I would have planned it to. And maybe it's something as simple as, oh, this isn't quite what I'd hoped for. And maybe it's something as serious as, uh, as Samuel here as he is grieving and mourning. Maybe that's exactly where you are right now in the midst of grief in the the midst of mourning, in the midst of hopes being lost and your desires for your life falling around uh, beside you. And so I want us to make sure we hone in and see exactly where Samuel is so that we see how God enters into that emotion here with Samuel, how God enters into that story and how he enters into that brokenness. Because one of the things that I've seen grief do is grief can make you just feel like you've just lost any sense of purpose in your life. It brings in kind of a fog. I don't know if you've ever been in that moment, but it just feels like a fog. You don't know which way to go, and it certainly doesn't feel like there's any hope or purpose left in your life. What am I supposed to do next? And we see here God enters into that story with Samuel, and he tells him in verse 1 at the very beginning, he says, Go, fill your horn with oil, and go. So in the midst of pain, in the midst of grief, God enters in and he tells Samuel, hey, I'm not done with you yet. You still have purpose left here. I still have a mission for you to accomplish. And to do it, you've got to go. I am sending you. So God says, I'm not finished with you yet. You still have purpose, Samuel, but you have to go. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected a king from his sons. And so God enters into the midst of that, and he tells him, go. This is the mission that I am giving you, to go and select this next king. And so for us, whether we are in the midst of grief or loss right now, or if we're just walking through life, caught up in what consumerism and the American dream is telling us, what our life means and what our life will will make it matter, and what the purpose of your life is, God is entering in, and he's saying something very different. God is not telling us to go anoint the next king of Israel, but he is telling us the same thing he does to Samuel as he tells us to go. God looks at each and every one of us in the eyes and he says, your mission is to go. I am sending you. 
not to Jesse of Bethlehem, but to the nations, to go, therefore, and make disciples. This is Jesus' last words to his disciples in the book of Matthew, in Matthew 28, 19, as he tells them, go and make disciples. That's their mission. He says that your discipleship, as you are following me, it has an active pace to it. You have to go. I'm sending you to go. As you follow Jesus, bring others along and help them follow me as well. Point them to me. That is the purpose of why you're here. This is your mission, to go and make disciples. And so listen to me. It doesn't matter what season of life you're in. That mission falls on you. If you're an eighth grade boy trying to figure out how to get your math homework done, if you're about to get married, if you're a teacher with young kids, if you're a retired missionary who's trying to figure out, I've spent 40 years on the field, what does my life have left to do? This mission falls on each of us to go, therefore, and make disciples wherever we might be. If you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're a career attorney, if you own a t-shirt company, whatever it might be, this mission falls on us. And so that's why we come together and we try to say it as clearly as possible. The mission of this church is to fulfill that mission, to make disciples. And that discipleship looks like people who know and treasure and obey Jesus. And so that mission falls to us as well. And as we go on our mission, God often just gives us the next step. Right? Wouldn't it be awesome if God said, hey, here's, a, here's your life and here's every part of it. Here you go. But uh, I think there's a famous theologian, Garth Brooks, that once said <laughs> that we could have missed the pain, but we would have missed the dance. Uh, if you haven't heard the song, it's a great theological song, philosophical song. Uh, but it's important for us to see that God doesn't operate that way. God doesn't operate with telling us, hey, here's every detail of your life mapped out. But what we see throughout the Bible and what we see in our lives, God often gives us the next step. He tells us what to do next. And our mission as we obey him is to then take the next step. And when we get there, he'll tell us what the next one is. Right? We see this in Samuel. God tells Samuel in verse 1, I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected a king from his sons. And when you get there, verse 3, I will let you know what you are to do. God could have told Samuel, hey, I selected David. Go there. You'll find him in a field. This is what you need to go do. But no, he said, go to Jesse, and when you get there, then I will tell you what to do. So friends, for us in our lives, God often in the midst of so much anxiety, as we look at our future uncertain of what our lives hold, God is calling you not to figure out what the rest of your life looks like. He's calling you to take the next step, to obey him. And when we get there, then he'll be there and his grace will be sufficient. And so we see the mission as God is sending Samuel to go and as he's going, he's helping him each step of the way to where he needs to be. But when he gets there, Samuel makes a mistake. We see in verses 4 through 7. So Samuel gets there. He's directed um, to Bethlehem. He gets the elders. He sees Jesse. He sees his sons. And the sons begin to come out before him. And he knows. He knows that one of these sons will be anointed the king of Israel. And the mistake that Samuel makes is as these sons start coming through, the very first one that comes is a guy named Eliab, verse 6. And Samuel saw Eliab and he said, Certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before me. Now why would he say that? Samuel stepped back and he saw these sons lined up and here comes the first one. Maybe he was the firstborn, but, but, but he had the look of a king. 
Here's a guy, he's been doing CrossFit for like three years, so he's ready to go. He'll take on any of the Philistines. They come into his box, it doesn't matter. They don't stand a chance. He's huge, he's tall, perhaps he's like Saul. Didn't mean for that to rhyme, but that's not going to be how the rest of the sermon goes, I promise. But Saul, if you remember, was a foot ahead above everyone else. And when the Israelites saw Saul for the very first time, they said, that's our king. Long live the king. He looks like a king. He's got the stature. He's got the build. He's got the deep baritone voice. We could follow a king like that. And Samuel makes a similar mistake here. As the sun comes out, he sees the oldest. He sees Eliab and he goes, oh, certainly, surely the Lord's anointed one is here before him now. This is king material. God corrects Samuel in verses seven, in verse seven. And verse seven is one of those really important verses of the Bible because this helps us get a glimpse into who God is and how God sees us. And it's important because it's so different than how we actually view ourselves and how we view everybody else. In verse seven, God gives Samuel a peek into his heart. He says, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I've rejected him. I've rejected Eliab as king. Because humans do not see what the Lord sees, because humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. So here God kind of pulls back the curtain and he says, Samuel, do you want to understand how I operate? I don't need someone who's jacked. I don't need someone who looks like a king. I need someone who has a good heart. And there's something in particular that I'm looking for in their heart. And when I find that, it doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what their circumstance is. If that heart is humble, if that heart walks in humility, then I can do amazing things with him. That's who I look to. And he says, I don't look at what's on the outside. I look at what's inside. Right? It reminds me of when I was in high school, uh, one day after two a days, uh, a football practice where we'd have two practices in a day. Uh, and in Louisiana in August, <laughs> Two days in the middle of that bayou uh, humidity was so hot. It was awful. But the good news is if you were thirsty, you could just open your mouth and the air was just so humid, it would be able to quench your thirst. And so I got done, done one day with uh, two days and I was on the way home and I was dying of thirst because I, I, I sweat more than the average human being. Um, so much so in, in high school when I played football, actually during the games, um, it didn't matter how much water I drank during the day. So I would literally carry around a gallon of water all day and just drink from the gallon. It would be empty out. I'd fill it up again and keep drinking the water. I filled myself with water when the football came on Friday night, when the game came, didn't matter. If I didn't get more hydration in the middle of the game, I'd have cramps by the end of it. So what we ended up doing is we had a nurse that would come at halftime during the halftime speeches in the locker room and hook up an IV to me to be able to make sure I got enough fluid so that I didn't cramp up because it didn't matter because I sweat an enormous amount. My mom would always say in the stand, she said, I had a hard time seeing the numbers, but I just always looked for the dark green pants. <laughs> that's when I knew that's my son. Uh, and so anyway, uh, so I got done with practice one day and I was so thirsty. So I'm driving home. I'm like, oh, I need, I can't make it home. I've got to stop and get water. So I pull over a gas station. I go in. I'm kind of hazy. I'm so thirsty. I go back to the back. I see the water section. It's like the water door. It's all of it, everything that you need. I open it up and I kind of just in a haze. I go, let me just pick the one that looks the, the prettiest. 
oh, that's a nice green bottle there. That's a little different, a little fancy lettering. That's cool. Let me just grab that and go up. So I grab it, go up, pay for it, walking out. I pop open the top. I can't, I can't wait for this liquid to be able to quench this thirst in me that's so deep. So I take it, I begin to drink, and about three gulps in, all of a sudden, something doesn't feel right. And I go, this, this doesn't taste like water. This tastes like liquid dirt. And I look and I pull back and I see that it wasn't regular water. No, this was carbonated water. This was Perrier is the official way to pronounce it. And it was, it's like if static had a taste is what it would taste like. <laughs> it was disgusting. And so it was one thing too. First of all, carbonated water is gross. And so listen, if you're here... <laughs> If you're here, here's, the, here's how this usually works is afterwards when people email me, it's not over like a theological dispute or anything I said. It's like, you don't like carbonated water? <laughs> um, so anyway, I know emails are going to fa- come. That's fine. Don't listen. Don't at me on Twitter. Uh, I just, it's gross. It's disgusting. And people go, no, no, no. Have you had LaCroix? Again, I don't know what's the deal with carbonated water that they just don't pronounce words as they should be, right? Perrier has an I-E-R on the end. It's like, listen, what? And then LaCroix ends with an X. I'm pretty sure when they say things with an X, you say X, but it's LaCroix. Anyway, they're like, have you tried LaCroix? Yes, it still tastes awful. Well, have you had mango LaCroix? Yes, it tastes like mango dirt. It doesn't matter. It's (laughs) disgusting. So anyway, I go and I tip it back and it was hideous. And so ever since then, I cannot have carbonated water touch my lips. But here was my mistake. When I went to the back, my only thought process was looking on the outside of those bottles. Let me get the one that's the prettiest the one that has the nicest letters. Oh, this one looks nice. Let me go and grab it. And I wasn't concerned about what was inside. And friends, that's exactly what Samuel did here. As he walked up, he looked at the sons, the the water cooler of, of Jesse's sons, and he said, let me look and see which one's the prettiest, which one is the most rugged, which one is the one that could be king, this one. And he looked on what was on the outside, and he wasn't concerned with what was on the inside. One of the reasons why I point that out is because that's such a dangerous tendency in each one of us. Because Samuel was, Samuel's one of the shining lights in the book of 1 Samuel. The guy was a godly man. He lived a life of faithfulness. And here, he makes the exact same mistakes that the Israelites did. And so we need to hear the warning that this is so easy for us to just be focused on what's on the outside and not look and see what's on the inside. Right, you see this in uh, day-to-day life. Whenever all of a sudden a celebrity comes out as a Christian and everyone goes crazy and they're like, yes, we've got one on our team. Now, now the Lord can work. And we, we're so quick to jump to that. We're like, okay, he said God a couple times. I bet he's a Christian. And let's crown him as a Christian. And we can now bring him forward. And now the kingdom of God can actually move here because we've got somebody with power and influence who believes, who maybe we think's believe, but that's still okay, in Jesus. And we're drawn to that. And what we see in this chapter and what you see throughout the Bible is that God doesn't need celebrity. God needs humility. And whenever he finds people that are dependent on him, 
When he finds people that come and say, I can't do this on my own. I am not in this. My life is not my own. I give it to you and I'm willing to sacrifice it to you to be able to use, be used however it can. And as I go, I'm going to be completely dependent and reliant on your spirit. And as I go, my life will sing its boast to you and give glory to you and it will not be centered around me. And in order to do it, God, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. When God finds people like that, it doesn't matter how powerful you are. It doesn't matter how beautiful you are. It doesn't matter how much influence or power you might have. It does not matter what house you live in or what car you drive in. God says, if you bring me a humble heart, then I can change the world. God isn't concerned with what can be seen. He's concerned about the heart. And in fact, here in this chapter, he chooses the one that the world passes over and casts aside. That's exactly what happens here. And that's a mistake that Samuel makes. But we see then the man that God chooses, the man in verses 8 through 13. So the rest of Jesse's sons continue to come out in verses 8, 9, and 10. All seven of his sons were presented there before Samuel. And Samuel's like, well, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Is there not, hey, listen, Jesse, is there not another son you've got? Because he told me to come here, and he told me that one of your sons would be king, and none of these are. And Jesse goes, well, I mean, there's still the youngest. Right now, he's tending the sheep. And, and you hear, right, I want you to see, uh, Samuel tells him, right, go, send for him, bring him back. We won't uh, eat until he gets here. In this story, as Jesse's told, hey, bring your sons forward. One of them will be anointed king. See the choice that Jesse makes. Jesse says, oh, one of my sons is going to be king. All right, hey, David, go watch the sheep. We'll bring the actual candidates here forward. And he brings his seven sons and leaves David over in the fields watching the sheep. And so not only is David someone that the world kind of casts aside, David's somebody that his own father casts aside as a candidate here, as someone who could have the potential to be the king. No, 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 not, not little David. No, he's just a shepherd boy. He's out playing his harp probably somewhere. He's not going to be king. That's not, that's not, no, no, no. It's one of these seven. And his own father looks past him. And so again, I don't know what your background is, what your story is, or where you are right now. But what I can tell you is that if you've ever felt cast aside by the world, if you've ever felt passed over by the people around you, felt like you weren't good enough to be accepted or to be given any kind of authority or credit, even if your own family has felt like you've been cast aside by them, listen to me this morning. God has not cast you aside. Not only has he not cast you aside, but whenever the world looks and sees brokenness, God looks and he sees potential. And we have to make sure that we get this word into our hearts because listen to me, it's not how we think. But this is the way that God operates. It's not just here. We see it throughout the Bible. We see it especially in 1 Corinthians 1. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says this. He says, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise from a human perspective. Paul, always the encourager, right? <laughs> Not many of you are really smart. Thanks, Paul. Sincerely, Church of Corinth. Not many of you are wise from a human perspective. Surely it's going to get better, though, right? Nor are many of you powerful. Cool, thanks, Paul. 
Not many of you are of noble birth. He's just, man, he's laying the encouragement, words of affirmation on thick. He's got to read the five love languages. That's Paul's problem. No, you're not wise, you're not powerful, you're not noble. But 27, he says, Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, in order to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. Why would he do that? He tells us in verse 29, so that no one may boast in his presence. God chooses those that the world passes over because he knows that those people will depend on him and will not try to rob him of his praise and his glory. And we see God is drawn to the humble heart. God is attracted to the one that says, I have nothing, my life has nothing to offer. God, I need you. And he goes, yes, that's the one. That's the one that I'll use. That's the one that I will choose. And God is resistant to, he is allergic to pride. Right, we see this in James 4, 6. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is, if you want to try to sum up the entire story of 1 Samuel, it's really a living embodiment of that, humility and pride, as they play themselves out in the characters of Saul and David. And God says, give me the one the world passes over. Give me the weak. Give me the broken. Give me the insignificant. Give me the despised. And I'll turn the world upside down. Give me a carpenter and 12 people that failed out of theology school, that are now tradesmen, that are fishermen, that are tax collectors. Give me that little group, and I'll go and turn the world upside down. God is hungry for people who are dependent on him. Those are the people that he uses. So that's why for our prayer, we sing songs that say things like this, Oh, Father, use this ransomed life in any way that you choose, and let my song forever be. My only boast is in you. So that we boast in him, not in ourselves, not trying to rob him of his glory. Because God looks at what the world passes over, and he makes it beautiful. Right? He's, he is the divine and perfect, true and better Chip and Joanna Gaines. Right? As Chip and Joanna walk into neighborhoods, they find a house and they go, that one that's been on the market forever, the one that's fallen apart, the one that no one is going to buy, that's the one that we want. And we'll go in there, we will fix it up, we'll put shiplap on everything, and it's going to be a beautiful home. And they get done with it, and it is. It's the most beautiful home on the block. But they choose intentionally the one that everyone else casts aside. <coughs> Friends, God does the same thing. As he looks, the ones that he uses are the ones that depend on him, the ones that are humble. That's why he's drawn to them. That's why he chooses them. That's why he resists the proud. And we have to be careful to make sure that we don't fall into that trap of looking to the outside circumstances and looking at what's on the external. Even within a church, it can be easy to look and say, what makes a church successful? And we can just look at what's on the outside. Friends, there are a lot of quote-unquote successful churches that do not have humble hearts. And God sees churches very differently than we do. And we have to make sure that as we move forward and when we stop and plant here this morning, having our first service as we move forward, we need to understand how it is God will use us. How it is God will come alongside and make us useful in his kingdom. It is only if we walk forward in humility. 
But who does God choose and who does God use? We see from this passage, God chooses the one that was passed over and cast aside. He looked into the heart and he saw a man of humility who wouldn't boast in his presence. And we see that Samuel needed a bit of a perspective shift. As he came, he was looking for who would be a good king, a good warrior over Israel. Well, here's a strong guy. I bet he would be a, a noble king. But he needed a perspective shift to understand God doesn't, wasn't just looking for a warrior. God was looking for a king to step in to begin to set the throne and set the line that would eventually lead to his son, Jesus Christ. And it's from David and his lineage that we get eventually to Jesus. And David was setting the stage for the entire story of God's redemption of the entire universe. God had a much bigger picture of what was happening in chapter 16 than Samuel did. And Samuel needed to lift his eyes to see what was actually happening. So friends, for us, as we get started here this morning, as we have our first Sunday as the Grove Church getting ready to go forward, it can be easy to do just like Samuel did and get so focused in on this moment and see, oh, this is so exciting. We've got popsicles and new signs and great people here, and this is so exciting. This is what we're doing as a church, and what I want to make sure we do here the very first Sunday is we lift our eyes a little bit to get a perspective shift of what it is that's happening here. That this is not just a club for people to come together and hang out. This is not just another way or avenue for you to be able to meet friends. It is that, but friends, it is so, so much more. What is happening here is God bringing together a covenant people, a local church, an embodiment of his, of his bride here in this area. He is setting forward this people to go forward and to carry on his mission to make disciples, to go and to carry out that mission, to set here as a city on a hill, both figuratively and literally here in Claremont, to shine the light of the gospel to the darkness around us, not just in this area, but around this state around this country, and around this world. Friends, we want to make sure that we don't fall into the trap of just believing in a God of this church, or even believing in a God of this city, but we believe in the God of the world. And we understand that our mission is not just for the people next door, it is, but we feel the burden as well for the entire nations. That's why we have missionaries that we pray for and we send out. That's why my prayer right now is that there will be people in these seats that five years from now will not be here because they will either be involved with another church plant or they will have said, God is calling us somewhere around the world. We do not just want to gather together a little club and grow our own brand and name here in Claremont. We want to come as a mission outpost of the kingdom of God here at 1100 Fosgate Road, sending out and pushing back the layers of darkness forward, back for the kingdom of God and for his gospel to progress. That is why we are here. We're not here just to hang out. We're not here just to get popsicles, although I'm telling you, they are very good. <laughs> We have been entrusted and chartered by God to protect his gospel and to bring it forward. And so each week we preach that. Each week we sing that. And my hope is each week we feel the burden to then go and take that because God is calling you to do it. He has given you a mission. And as he's doing it, he's giving you step by step. And as we go, we have to be a church that walks not with a swagger, but walks with wounded and scarred knees who have been falling on our knees and praying for God to help us and God to move. Because it can be so, so easy to rely on ourselves. 
it can be so, so easy to rely on uh, our relationships or how friendly we are or how winsome we may be or how good our kids' ministry is or how cool our lighting is or how good our website looks or anything like that. And friends, those things are good. They are fine. We want to do things with excellence. But the danger is that we can begin to depend on them and not on the Spirit. And you see at the very end of this chapter, the thing that makes David so powerful in verse 15, or in verse 13, is the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Friends, let me just say this as clear as I can. The only way we make a difference here is with the help of the Spirit. Period. It doesn't matter how funny I can be. It doesn't matter how big of a crowd we can draw. It doesn't matter how much we can entertain. If the Spirit of God is not here, nothing will happen. You may go, well, people will still come. Yeah, of course. We can draw a crowd, but we cannot create a church apart from the Spirit of God. And we are not about drawing a crowd. We are not just about growing in numbers. We want to see people come to know Jesus, but I want us to be able to walk forward growing in humility. How do you measure that? How do you mark that? It's a great question. I have no idea, but I see that's what we're supposed to do. So I don't care if I don't have some tangible marker that I can turn in to somebody else and go, well, this was our attendance, this was our giving, and this was our level of humility this week. That's not there. Any of the fruit of the Spirit, peace, joy, patience, kindness, you can't measure those things. But friends, God is calling us to grow in that. He's calling us to walk forward in humility. And so I don't know how to measure that, but I know that God has called us to it. And so as we walk forward, may we continue to be dependent on Him, dependent on His Spirit to move, because apart from Him, there's nothing that we can do. So as we start this journey as the Grove Church, I want to put that stake in the ground as clear as I can, that whatever marks us in the future, whatever we may be, I pray that we would be a church that's humble, a church that walks forward knowing we cannot do this on our own, and that we get a glimpse of the mission that God has called us to, and we feel, each of us, in our own lives, that marching order to carry out that mission. We wouldn't fall into the trappings of American Christianity, looking at the outside, but we focus and look at what God looks at as we walk forward, carrying out his mission to make disciples who know, treasure, and obey Christ. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we thank you so much for being a God who has come and spoken to us God, you are so, so much different than we are. God, help us to see and have the same perspective that you do. God, that we would begin to strive to look for the heart and not on what's outside, whether it be in our churches, in our family, in our friendships, in our jobs. God, give us your perspective and then help us in our own lives to strive after that, to not get caught up with the burden of trying to measure up. But God, that you have seen, you've called us not to measure up, but to fall and to fall on you. God, that you would lead us, guide us, empower us, and continue to give us your spirit as we carry out your mission. We love you and we thank you so much for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.